Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, hi. We are, um, we are up here on this fine Monday morning to talk more about the op- about the opioid cry, 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 crisis here. I, uh, we have three folks here who are going to try to give our re- our our Liz listeners here a sense of a bit about what it means to be an um an um an, an addict as well as some 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 things that you can can look for as a way to try to see whether there is an an issue i would like each of the panel to <clears throat> say hi and to tell a bit about your about your about yourself Good morning. My name's Pat Kennedy. I work with the Human Service Center. Uh, I'm Vice President of Clinical Services for the Substance Use Programs. I'm Chrissy Smith, and I oversee the Methadone and Suboxone Program with the Human Service Center. We also have a Drug Overdose Prevention Program, which does a lot of community education um, around the opioid overdose prevention and naloxone training, things like that. My name is Jamie Harwood. I'm the coroner for Peoria County. Okay. We are we are all also live on face on face on Facebook and I've got my phone here and I'm gonna try to see if folks want to met 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 message in com, com, comments. Um I will try, but this is sorta of new for us, so we're gonna try to give it a quick um a quick uh go. The f- the first thing I would like to ask you folks is we we keep talking about the on about the ongoing opioid crisis. Is this really an 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 op- opioid I- I- issue, or is this really an overall sub sub substance abuse I- issue in the sense that people could be u- using other type of drugs? And let's talk about how this is a bi- how this is a biolog a biological thing, and anybody can jump in. I'll jump in first, and I'll say I do think this is an opioid issue. Um, of course, we have substance use issues too. People are using other substances, but uh, opioid in specific, people are dying at alarming rates. Jamie can speak to that in our county. Um, we're we're losing people faster than we have with any other substance or that we are with any other substance and so um and you said is it a biological issue yes uh, kind of the same thing in that with opioids opioids work in the brain differently than many or most of the other substances that people are using you know you are talk 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 talking ma'am about how it works the brain div- differently what is what 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 do you mean because again most folks here do not have a bio- biochem you know, trade trading here. Me <laughs> what do you mean that it works the brain and who and whoever wants to uh, jump in? I, I think what Chrissy said is correct. All substances 
affect the brain. It's it's a brain illness. Addiction is a brain illness. Uh, but opioids uh, uh, um, you guys can speak probably better to it technically but um, opioids the addiction tends to be faster for mm-hmm. most people um, and different than other chemicals so we naturally produce feel good chemicals in our brain right we're all producing them right now it's what's encouraging us to be here and sit here today what got us up this morning what you know regulated our pain right (laughs) Right. and so we naturally produce these feel-good chemicals in our brain um with some of the other substances our brain sees them as sort of foreign so our it it may increase euphoria short term but our body says like "Ah, that doesn't really belong here with opioids it's a little bit different because we naturally produce those same feel-good chemicals and so our brain says like i really like that um so rather than like don't do that again please keep doing that because then you save me some work and i don't have to naturally produce these same feel-good chemicals you just keep giving them to me, and I'll stop what I'm doing and focus on something else. Um, you know, you may you 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 mention that, but I've also heard that over time, the actual nerve, or the path, or the pathways, or the way the brain talks to other parts of the brain, for lack of a better term, gets changed. Mm-hmm. That if you take coffee, for instance, over time. It could affect how your body, um, I mean, how your brain works. Does is that how op- 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 opioids work, or no? Yeah, yeah. So opioids work very similarly similarly to natural feel good chemicals that we have, but they work much better, I guess, for lack of better words. And so it can create new pathways, right? And so when you use heroin, for example, you're going to create a much stronger effect than we could naturally produce ourselves, which sometimes does create those new neuropathways that you're talking about. And so we're jumping ahead, but then what happens is we have all these extra neuropathways, we quit using, our body doesn't necessarily kick back, start back like it should, and so then that's where we have withdrawal. The nurse in the building can step in at any time. I absolutely agree, and I think about your body doesn't naturally produce caffeine. You mentioned coffee. I have to have coffee. I have to have coffee. Well, you really don't have to have coffee. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, actually, we actually do. Maybe maybe you do, Andy, but (laughs) coffee is one of those things that you can stop drinking and not potentially affect the neural pathways uh, and that crave center in your brain like taking a synthetic opioid would do. I, I like to think of nicotine, too, for people who are nicotine addicted with cigarettes your body naturally produces and then when you add the cigarette which is an uh synthetic form of nicotine into your body then your body thinks well i don't have to i don't have to deal with it right now because i got a cigarette that i'm smoking but when you quit your body still has that crave for the nicotine which makes it so difficult it's similar to what we're talking about here with opioids you know you you mentioned some some i think james jamie where you talked about a sin a sin a a synthetic form of opioid is there a nat- natural form of, op- of 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 opioid and could one of you maybe tell us you know two or three common kinds obviously we've all heard of um, hair 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 heroin um but you know what is what do you mean by a sin a synthetic Version and what you guys can tack tackle it. So basically, when we say synthetic, we mean man-made. There is the original form of opioid, if you will, is poppy. It comes from a plant, um, and that's the purest form that you can get. So there technically is a difference between the term opioid and opiate. Um, for a, a lot of times, you'll hear those terms interchangeable when we're talking about them because 
nobody I don't I don't know anybody using poppy really um, but so heroin is a common example um, it's probably the most prevalent people can use that a lot of different ways but we also see things like morphine things that you can get from a hospital or a doctor's office right morphine Vicodin um, fentanyl is a big one right now you mentioned fentanyl Jamie has got on this podcast, and he's mm-hmm. talked to to me many times about fent, 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 fentanyl. Apparently, that's very strong. Is that true? Yeah, uh, fentanyl has a pretty high potency um, when compared with other medications such as morphine. Um, when I look back through our toxicology on our people who have passed away from an um, overdose, we are seeing fentanyl, acetylfentanyl, carfentanyl, um, the more concentrated forms of fentanyl, which have a, a higher degree of um, lethal um, ness to it. So um, it's not just heroin by itself. It's heroin, heroin mixed with fentanyl, cocaine, cocaine mixed with fentanyl, cocaine mixed with um, acetylfentanyl, carfentanyl. Um, it's it's a copulation of things like that um, that we're seeing in our office. So it's not singular to one thing. It's not? Okay. I am getting a quick question here about someone who is saying drugs are a, that drugs are a, quote, choice. True, false? False. false. True, false? False. True, false? False. Maybe, maybe, Why? Maybe the first time. Well, what? When we're experimenting. Tell, tell, you, you tell know, me about sc- that. High school, college, uh, pick an age, whatever. Um, the first time I made a decision to take a drink of alcohol, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, for somebody who has the disease of addiction is going to become dependent um it's not a choice after but not everybody gets hooked that's not correct. everybody that's right i mean there are right. there are, the, i have to think and you guys know more more than me that there has to be folks out there who maybe take their sure. first who take a, a pill of vike a vike a vicodin or of oxy or to do a shot of hair hair heroin and say that I don't like I don't like that. There's other people who are like, "Oh yeah, man, this is this is great." You're correct. When folks say it's a choice, you mentioned that it is for the first time, but if not everybody gets hooked, what are the other factors here? I mean, what is addiction? Over the years, it has been labeled as a chronic disease. What does that mean? And maybe go into some of the stuff about um about of that please we teach staff as well as our consumers it's biopsychosocial there is a biology component for some people and it runs in families that doesn't mean everybody in that family will become addicted but the odds the risks are higher there's um, environmental social aspects if you are raised Um, In a family where substances are used, you have a higher risk. Again, it doesn't mean that you'll use and become uh, experience addiction, but the risk is higher. The younger you start using, the more often you use, all of those are risk factors. Um, It it parallels some other medical illnesses. Uh, This just happens to be one that changes brain chemistry. So... You mentioned that it changed that this that the younger. So let's say that I start to use at the age of third of thirteen. Am, am I done? 
I mean, you're talking about because that because the brain is still starting to form, Correct. and if I'm a chronic addict or if I'm using X times each day, and I don't know how how much you would have to use at that that age, can you ever get well? Yeah. You know, the brain has an amazing capacity to heal, which I think is is very cool. The brain is actually very powerful and very cool. But so, yes, to what you're saying is that, sure, when you start to use it at a young age, while your brain is still developing, you're going to have an impact on that developing brain. We see people come into treatment services a lot of times who um, maybe have a, a physical body of a 30-year-old, but their brain development hasn't quite caught up. But that doesn't mean that it can't catch up. The brain has an amazing capacity to heal, and you can you can heal it. Jamie? Yeah, I want to come back to um, the choice, the quote-unquote choice that an, indivi- that an individual has. Um, I've had multiple cases, and one in particular that sticks out in my mind, uh, of an individual who was top of her class in high school, brilliant girl, um, suffered an orthopedic injury. Um, she had to have surgery from the orthopedic injury and was prescribed an opioid. Um, this is one of those cases um, where it, it affected her differently than it would an, another ordinary person. And after she went through her prescription of the opioid, um, she continued to have pain. So she got another renewal of the prescription. And here started her trend. She broke the uh, the extremity again and had another prescription um, of the opioid, had that renewed again. And then the physician quit prescribing. Well, the damage was already done in her brain. It wasn't her choice at that time to take the original dose of the pain medication because of the fracture. She chose to take the the medicine for her pain for a legitimate fracture, okay? After that chemistry had changed in her brain, she didn't have a choice but to take the opioid again. It it simply just wasn't – it's just not that simple to say it's a choice. So whatever – so whatever happened? It – it progressed. Uh, she went from taking the prescription Vicodin, which she couldn't get anymore, to taking street Vicodin and then street heroin, and then she died. Just that simple. I mean, it was the, it was the same track that I see a lot of our, our deaths start off as something simple as an ankle fracture, a radial fracture of the wrist, or um, anything like that, rib but, fractures. But the overall, no, no, the overall amount... Of, of opioids being per being per um being per prescribed has dropped over like the last five it has. years. Now it was very high, so now it's gone from here to here. <laughs> but it's it, there's still a lot a lot out there. Talk to me a bit about the um sting the the stigma of this. You you men mentioned that this girl was at the top of her class, a star ath a star athlete. I would imagine, and you obviously did not get involved until the end, and you guys might know about this. Are, are people shy or or embarrassed to go out and to seek help? I think they are because of the stigma. It's a, it's. Am I weak? Why can't I handle it? Why am I doing this? How is somebody else going to look at me? How is this affecting my marriage? How do my children look at me? Does my boss know? Things like that. Um, When I look through uh, my list that I have sitting here in front of me um, of the 
uh, locations of where people live, their ages, it, it simply spreads all over the place in Peoria County. Um, out in the county in the 61525 to the 61603 in Peoria to the 04 in Peoria, 61523 out in Chillicothe. It's literally everywhere. And for us to believe um, that it's it's some guy tattered in tattoos and a gray van sitting down on the south end of Peoria. It's not. Um, That's a stigma that we need to take out of our brains, out of our minds, and we need to be realistic about where we're at right now with our demographic of people who are overdosing. It is right next door. You you guys, because you, because both of you with the Human Service Center, See folks on the tree on the tree on the treatment side, so you guys to see them while they are still live living, and um, has Ed, has anybody said that the hardest thing was to walk in? The hardest thing was to come here. The hardest thing was to actually say, "I need help." Yeah, there's a lot of shame and guilt around substance use and mental health disorders, right? Why? Um, Good question, right? Because because there's a lot of stigma out there, right? Um, so, thinking in particular of opioid dependence, we know that one of the most successful ways to treat opioid dependence is with methadone or buprenorphine. And a lot of times, what I hear people say are things like, "I'm ashamed to come to treatment because my family or friends or whoever says, well, why can't you just quit? Just stop." and move on with your life. Just go get a job. You'll feel better in a couple of days. And so there's a lot of shame about coming into treatment and starting one of these medications. And so if you work past the the shame of coming to treatment, then staying in treatment or staying on the medications because they're helpful, um, there's guilt around that, right? Because people say things like, well, how long are you going to stay on this stuff? Just get off this stuff. You're not totally sober unless there's nothing in your system, right? And so there's all these um, perpetuated beliefs about what recovery should look like. And so people have shame and guilt if it doesn't look the way people think it should. I, th- I think with a lot of addictions, just the idea of um, coming to a place where I recognize I can't control my use, whatever I've planned to use. Maybe I planned to just use a small amount, but I'm using way more than I planned. It's out of control. I'm spending more money, more time, spending a lot of time trying to get it, to make sure I've got it available. Um, all of those kinds of things, it, it's even though information's been out there the last 20 years that it's a medical illness, it's hard to think of it that way for most people, most families. We, we want to be in control of what we do, and this is an issue where we have to recognize we don't have control over it. We can learn. There's ways to learn to manage it. But um, you have to come to a place where you recognize it's beyond what you can do by yourself when you're coming and asking for help. What are some of the cla- cla- classic signs that pe- that folks could could look for? I have written stories, 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 stories. Jamie has come here and talked about this, where parents don't know. They are literally. I, in fact, I think it was. I think you were tell, telling me a story about how re, recent, re, recently, a fa- father had had no had no had no clue. It 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 can it can happen. Um, what are some signs? And I ask that knowing that everybody is a different per, per, sure. per, person, knowing that everybody is going to be. Is going to do things in a different way, but is there a- anything, any kind common sign that people can look for at the beginning, 
prior to things getting bad, prior to where you could possibly help folks. Because we don't want to, we, I'm, I'm tired of writing stories about parents who say, I didn't know. Because that's awful. We all have kids. We all know folks who have kids. And that's the worst thing. You wake up one day, your your kid's dead, and you're going, what did I do wrong? And you might have done no, nothing wrong. So what are some signs? What does, uh, what does opioid, uh, what does opioid uh, addiction look like? I think I can say a few things, okay? Um, so I think there is some physical things, there's some behavioral things, but I also want to make mention that um, sometimes there isn't anything super obvious, right? And so um, I think the important thing for people to do is ask questions if you have concerns. Um, talk to your kids and family members if you have concerns, but some things you can look through are um, things like, are they are they missing appointments? Are they not going to work? Are they not showing up to family functions that maybe they normally would? Are they um, isolating a little bit more than maybe is normal? Um, maybe not following through with things that they said they were going to as much um are are their moods varying more than usual so are you seeing some maybe extreme highs or extreme lows that you didn't see before um physical symptoms you might see are things like do they have flu-like symptoms but no real illness that is being treated right so maybe a runny nose or watery eyes or sweating um, itchy skin yeah itchy skin complaining of stomach aches more regularly than usual um wanting to miss school maybe more often for illness or whatever there's lots of things just any abnormal change in behavior should prompt us to ask questions so what can so what can we do and i ask that because um you can you can see all this stuff and it could just be like say me i right i right now happen to have a sub summer cold my eyes want water i feel like well bad but the point, the point being is, I'm not doing anything, but I'm showing right now some of the classic signs. How do you approach some someone without sounding like one of these TV shows where you have this in this intervention, which could actually drive a person farther into drug use? Jamie, I mean, you happen to deal with uh, parents, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, you deal with it on the back end, but. Um, what you have been a nurse for years, so you've seen them there too. What are some of the things that you could say? I would say about sixty percent of the families that I have talked to in my office um, claim with absolute certainty that um, they had no idea that their loved one um, was using. Um, they're shocked when I go through the toxicology reports. They they had no idea. Now another group of people will say. You know, I I asked my son or daughter if they were using. They were very dismissive about it and very defensive about it, but gave me a no, and so I just took their word for it. And then the tox comes back positive that that's what the cause of death was. Um, and there's another group of people who said their hands were, were just up in the air. They couldn't do anything with their loved one um, who was using. They knew they were using all along. They were giving them every, every tool they could possibly give them, um, and it just wasn't uh, successful, unfortunately. So I see a whole mix of things, and... 
I really don't know uh, what the answer is, to be honest. I, I know uh, Chrissy mentioned earlier um, something about treatment plans, and the key to that is individualized treatment plans. I think the public has a certain perception about what needs to be done just to do this one blanketed thing, and it's going to work for everyone. It's just simply not the case. Um, we need access to treatment and access to individualized treatment plans um, for each person. Okay. Would you care to, care to comment on any, on anything about that? Not necessarily the whole tree, the um, tree, the treatment thing, and that is also be because that is going to be the focus of some stories in a month. So I don't want to talk. We'll about come back it to that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, I I agree with what's been said. I think um, for family members, friends, loved ones. It's if if you have if you're observing something that's different in somebody, just to um, share that that you're concerned, you're worried, um, that you're observing some changes, the your loved one may um, blow you off, may not um, talk about it, but to continue to communicate that you're observing something, don't don't sell yourself short when you when you see a change. Uh, speak up and say something. You can do it in a loving way. It's not doesn't have to be an accusation. And as everybody's pointed out, there's a hundred reasons why somebody might look like the symptoms that we described. Um, unless you're seeing them repeatedly, it, it could have a a lot of different reasons. But nonetheless, the concern, voicing the concerns, a, a big deal. One of the things that I that I that I have got a um, a a quick quest quest question here here about is chronic chronic pain. Op- opioids work very well at treat treat treating pain. Now we there's there's two types of pain. There is the sharp pain or the or the uh, or the or the acute pain, and there's chronic pain. We could op, 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 opioids are probably not the best for chronic long right. use pain. That's right. But they are good for having a broke broken leg, and you're in pain right right now. Are there other? One of the big things that's been talked talked about over like the last few years is trying to wean our culture off of oxy, wean our culture off of Vicodin, wean our culture off of fentanyl, and trying to use more like an an Advil or Tylenol or or pot now. Folks are talking about pot as as a pain, as an acute. Are there other options out there? I mean, opioids work, and you want to have people who are in pain to get help for their pain. Nobody wants to be in pain. At the same time, though, maybe this isn't the best thing for long-term use, and and I'm going to go right to you because I (laughs) thought you jumped. It was great. It was the most... Yeah, I was ready to say something. I know. You were set to jump in there. Go. No, I, I think the prescription opiates are a great tool for acute pain, and I would not want to see people not get the relief they need. Chronic pain is another ball game, and it's it's a tough one. There's no easy answers. Um, similar to what Jamie said earlier, it's got to be individualized. You can't do a blanket approach or say do X, Y, and Z. That's good for everybody. Um, we're finding more and more things. Um, 
that, that are important to consider. The Veterans Administration has done a tremendous amount of work around <coughs> chronic pain, and there's, there is a place for medications, but it's not the long-term opiate use. Um, there's non-medical things, the, the physical stretching, nutrition, spirituality, all those kinds of things that would be a holistic approach for people to deal with, with who are experiencing chronic pain. And but there's no easy answers. No, and, and, I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to ask something that we are a culture right now where we happen to live on this. We happen to want things right here, right right now, and if we can't have it now, it's, uh-uh, I don't want any part of it. You are talking about do, do, doing yoga. You're Meditation. You're talking about trying to, you know, do like zen stuff. That's going to take a long time. That, I mean, that's not an easy thing. No, But that's not. not how we are, are wired right That's now. right. That's right. There's, it's not easy. There has to be a shift in our culture, I think. Um, absolutely, opioids are good for pain, right? But I don't think they should be necessarily our first reaction to pain, unless we're talking about broken limbs and things like that. That's a whole different ballgame. Um, but I, I think things like stretching and meditation and rest and ibuprofen, what I hear from the consumers that I work with a lot is how surprised they are that ibuprofen and Tylenol actually work um, because they always assume that their pain, they needed an opiate. Um, so they've done lots of different things. Warm compresses, cold compresses, um, stretching, meditation. There's good research that if you use the prescription opiates for too long, you actually have an opposite effect where you're more sensitive to pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what's created some problems as well with... Oh, re- really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what about pot? I mean, that is the that is the new big thing. We're, we're going to find would, out about that. I, I was re- recent. I, I was re- recently out at the um, at the um, ASAM conf, 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 conference, and um, that came came up a lot, and it's being pushed. But apparently, there's not a lot of research. I mean, hardcore peer research. There's a lot of stud studies out there, but they're not long term, just because. It ha- hasn't been out there. What do you guys think about the use of med- medical mayor, medical mayor, oh, mayor of Guadalajara? Andy, I think this is a, a discussion for another time. Ah. Deep. No, uh, marijuana is not a painkiller. Okay, so if mar- if you're using marijuana to relieve your pain, then there's another psychological issue going on other than the pain. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it's not a painkiller. So I would like to see a research study uh, with a large sample size that says that it's taking care of um, pain. I, 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 it's going to take a lot for me to buy into that, to be honest. I see I that, that face. <laughs> I believe that. Well, here's what I'll say. Um, I will say there is some research out there that supports the use of marijuana, <coughs> marijuana, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana. My opinion, um, oh, my only opinion today is I think we have to be careful on the developing brain. So I think regardless of whether it's used for pain or recreationally, we have to um, be careful how we use it before the brain's fully developed. You know, and I, uh, I agree with that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you want to jump jump in or no? I. Uh, it's yeah. I'm gonna stay quiet on it. It's- <laughs> um, I will say for the um, read read reader that this conf- conference that I went to, which is a gas gathering of docs and others who focus on this, um, 
they all felt pretty pretty much the same way. They were op- open to seeing it, but they happened to wanted more re- research on it. All right. Um, one of the things that I'd also like to talk about, what are some of the common misperceptions? Misperception. Everybody thinks, everybody has in their mind what this crisis is. And if you live north of um, north of War Drive, you think it is one thing. If you live south of War Drive, you think it is one thing. If you live in the city, you think it's one thing. If you live in the middle of the woods, you think it is one thing. It's what I'd like for each of you to think of one misperception that you're like, please, I wish people would just know this. It's not that. Here is your chance to talk to all 12 folks. No, um, <laughs> I, I am joking. Five of but, them probably work for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I'd like, and I'll start with you, is one thing. If you had to say, this is not right. Everybody thinks this, but it is not right. Go. Willpower isn't going to fix it, and um, this isn't, uh, it, it affects everybody. Just that it's 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 not those people. It's us. Yeah, I, I think that mine would be something like this is um, not just a problem in South Peoria or an African American only problem. This is a problem all across Peoria County with all types of socioeconomic groups and races. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear people say all the time, like, "Oh, yeah, well, that doesn't really affect me." And I bet if I did some digging, everybody knows somebody, whether they're related to somebody or friends with somebody, whether they know it or not, that is affected by this epidemic. I think that's a good point. Um, I think one of the things that really gets me, having sat with multiple families in my office week after week (coughs) after week, um, I want people to know it's not a choice. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned um, as a nurse, um, working in an emergency department, uh, critical care, and then working on this end of it, working with families, it's not a choice for the addict to take enough medication um, that it ends their life. I have no doubt in my mind that that's not the outcome that they want when they're using. I I just refuse to believe that. Um, I want people to know that um, there's a great, huge society of people here in Peoria County who care about them. Um, We're working feverishly um, on solutions um, for this epidemic. Um, And people do care. And there is help. And we're making um, a great effort to make sure that more help is available, readily available when the person is ready. You know, one of the things that I had um, heard, and it really, it struck me, and it came from a local, local, local cop, of of all of of all things. Um, he is uh, a drug, a drug cop, so he does a lot of this stuff. And he said, and I and I'd like to ask you, you, ask you guys about this. People get to the point where they're not trying to get high. They're just trying to feel better. Yeah. They don't even to in feel other normal. They is that they feel so bad when they're off of the hair, 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 heroin, or the opioid, or the Vicodin, whatever it is, that take, taking it does, doesn't make them feel better. 
it just I mean I mean great high it makes him feel nor- normal is is that true and is heroin and do op- opioids have a physical side to it we talked a lot about the mental side we've talked about the brain changing but is there a physical side to to it I had an addict uh, tell me Andy that walking normal walking and craving air can you imagine just that you're in your everyday ordinary life craving air and when you finally get to take that breath you feel normal like you can continue about the addict described to me the same way is uh needing the heroin was like needing to breathe just to just to get one breath in and when they get the heroin or the opioid they finally feel that normalcy that they can breathe normal it's a crave mm-hmm. is, i mean is there a physical i mean then that part of the, and again i don't want to get in into the meth into the meth the method the methadone because i'm gonna do another series of stories on that and we really don't have time but um is there a physical side to it i mean can i just say one one day you want to know something i've got the will power today i'm gonna quit and i'm gonna ride this out can you do that? I hope you do, but it's not going to be super likely, probably. I'm sorry, what? I said, I hope you do, but it's probably not going to be super likely. So when you talk about the physical aspect, I think you have to think about the brain aspect. I started talking about how your brain naturally fit produces these feel-good chemicals. So let's say that this is the receptor in your brain and that the opiate fits perfectly in that receptor. Well, over time, your brain kind of requires that receptor to be filled, right? And so when you don't use an opiate and that receptor is empty, that's when you experience what we call withdrawal. Withdrawal is your body saying, hello, fill my receptor with another feel-good opiate, right? And so when you experience withdrawal, it's flu-like symptoms until you fill that receptor again and your brain is satisfied for a while. And so you're going to continue to feel withdrawal symptoms until that receptor is filled, whether naturally or with something synthetic like heroin. We certainly have people who have quit and gotten through the withdrawal process without (coughs) returning to use. There's a lot of people at our NA meetings. There are a lot of people in our community who have beaten in the the withdrawal process and are in recovery. but we also work with an awful lot of people that it's so incredibly uncomfortable that they're not able to do it on their own, and so they return to use. And those people are the candidates for medication. They really need medication. Okay, we are we are going to start to wrap this up, and um, I would like to have one final call, one five final con- comment, Jamie, because I started mm. here. I'm going to start with mm. um, you. You actually get to um, go first. Wow. I know. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate that. Oh, I, yeah, well, you know. Um, I, I just wanted um, to close by saying um, what I said before. People care. There is help available. Um, and I want the the public to know, everyone listening, who's going to read uh, read this, um, take the stigma out of it. It could be you. It could be me. It very. I've had a kidney taken out. I've had an appendicitis. I've had opioids. It very easily could be me. It could be very easily be you or you or you. Um, so we need to take the stigma out. We need to offer a little bit more care and compassion um, for the disease that we have right now. 
I guess I'll just say, um, for pe- like, I'm grateful to be here. For people looking for more information, they can call us at the Drug Overdose Prevention Program at the Human Service Center, and we'll come out and do free education to anybody oh, wow. that wants okay. it. Um, and that may or may not include naloxone training if people are interested in that. And I also... And wait, hold on. No, no. Naloxone is narc, narc, narc. Narcan, yes. The Drug Overdose Prevention right. Medicaid. The Drug okay. Overdose Medication. And I guess the other thing I'll do is take the opportunity just to say that uh, Jolt Harm Reduction is, is active in the community. She has lots of services she's offering... Um, in Peoria, especially on Saturdays afternoons. So I would encourage people to look at their Facebook page and their website. And uh, my comment would be for the people who are out there struggling, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Please. Well, 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 folks, I, w- I want to say that we are going, we are going to wrap this up. Um, this um, we weekend, the paper is going to have a large pack package on on this. We're going to be touch, touching on some of this, and this is part of our of our year long look at 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 this. So I, w- I would like to say thanks, and we are finished. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.